Welcome to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guest is Laura Rope, Director of Partner Developments at PayPro. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Baytech Talk, Laura. Today, we're going to talk about payments and specifically financial inclusion. Fantastic. Very excited to be here today. Thank you for having me. No problem. My name's Elliot Lyons, and I'm co-hosting with Emily Ropita. Welcome. And could you just tell us a little bit about yourself for people who may not recognize your work? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Laura Rofe. Um, I'm Director of Partner Development um, at PPRO. I'm originally from Australia. Um, I've lived in London for over 10 years now and spent nearly 14 odd years in corporate banking fintech space. In terms of my role, I may work for PPRO at the moment, who are a local payments and infrastructure provider. Um, But outside of my world of fintech, uh, my other passion is really about being a big advocate for female empowerment, diversity, equity, inclusion. And I really enjoy and support a number of initiatives, both personally and professionally on that front. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. So today's podcast, we're covering financial inclusion. And so we were wondering, kind of, do you have any news highlights or anything that you've read over the course of the last few weeks that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, particularly seeing um, we had International Women's Day last week. There's been lots of um, interesting articles flying about um, uh, with regards to diversity and inclusion and gender equality. One particular article I was having a look at was um, actually shared by the European uh, Women in Payments Network, which actually I've been involved with a little bit over the over the years. Um, and they published one in line with International Women's Day around let's fix the gender diversity problem in the fintech sector. And um, then actually another one uh, you guys shared with me as well was from the Financial Times around UK women um, creating a record number of, of new companies in 2022. And I think these are both kind of um, interlinked really um, I think it's fantastic um, to hear that a number of women who have created companies in the UK has increased. I think it was around about 4.3% from 2021 to 22. And it was a study led by um, a lady called Alison Rose, who's now the CEO of NatWest. And I've actually met her a number of years ago before she was in that role. She's a very inspiring uh, woman. Um, But she, I think she particularly emphasized the fact that um, this is a really positive stat particularly given the current economic climate and off the back of COVID and really highlighted the resilience, um, how resilient women are. But, you know, on the flip side, the other article I was having a a read through basically said that um, just 2% of fintechs globally are founded by women. So, you know, there's still quite a significant gap. You know, we are making strides in the UK. Um, and, And a lot of this, you know, is really, you know, what's lacking here. It's around funding, you know, a lack of diversity of those making funding decisions. Um, but also, you know, affordable childcare is another element because, yeah. you know, um, enabling women to be able to to work. But yeah. I think the couple of key messages out of this is, you know, one that was really interesting was that um, Alison mentioned that 250 billion pounds could be added to the UK economy if women matched men in starting and scaling up businesses. And I think it really goes to show it's not just the right thing to do, but it makes good business sense to have greater gender equality um, in the economy as a whole. And ultimately, the female entrepreneurs really respond to challenging times, which is not an easy feat. But yeah, I think a couple of interesting articles there. Definitely, definitely. Well, thanks for highlighting a few of the things I guess we'll, we'll dig more into over the course of this chat. So just backing up a little bit, because there's tons of stuff on DEI and equity and inclusion and financial inclusion out there. But like, like, let's just back up a little bit. Like, how would you define financial inclusion? 
Yeah, I think this is a really, really good one. And um, and actually, I have my sort of own understanding of, you know, what financial inclusion is. And I actually wanted to see what the internet kind of also defined, you know, financial inclusion as. And I came across this definition by the World Bank. And they kind of state that financial inclusion means that individuals and businesses have access to useful, affordable financial products and services that meets the needs of consumers. But personally, I think we need to take this definition a step further around what we really want and what is financial inclusion. And, and for me, it's also really about you know, defining what the, the availability of equality of opportunities to access the financial services. So, you know, you have this, this equity versus equality element. I mean, for those, sometimes that definition in itself can be a little bit blurry because equality means providing the same to all, right? But equity is really about, you know, the means of recognising that we don't all start from the same place, um, and and we have to acknowledge that and make adjustments and imbalances. So I think when we look at financial inclusion, we need to be thinking from that perspective. And I mean, I did a fireside chat within PPRO for International Women's Day, and we touched on, you know, how can financial services help others? And, you know, there's, there's just a multitude of ways around that. Um, you know, bank accounts can be a gateway to using sort of additional financial services, like, for example, access to credit, and it can open up, you know, economic opportunities for people. So, yeah, financial inclusion is such a broad one. It's a great question because i think it's um one that people don't fully understand yet but yeah definitely no yeah that's a that's a good point especially the i think the it's hard for people yeah. people kind of get equality to a certain extent uh because you know in certain like civil rights movements in the u.s where we're from mm-hmm. you know people get the kind of like equality part like okay i can do it you can do it but the equity thing is a little bit i think the like that sort of next step on the yeah. ladder is a little bit harder for them to comprehend if you don't understand that everyone either is we know born with certain privileges or because of their sex race or gender doesn't have those uh so that's a little bit runs into additional difficulties with with that yeah we don't all start from the same place right and that has to be acknowledged the same for example you know me going for a role if i'm going for a role in a company and my salary is already at a disparity to that of male colleagues and they're just you know, basing it from that starting point, we're always going to be at a disparity, right? So that's why, you know, for me, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion rather than just equality. Yeah, because that's important. I pulled up some stats from uh, the U.S. on actually the gender pay grant, uh, since we're both from the, the U.S. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of fitting because we talk about the gender pay gap as like it's uh, this like monolithic thing, but it's actually a bunch of different things. Because what I found from the research is uh, in terms of the pay gap, black women make 70% of white men, Hispanic women make 65, white women may make 83. So it's not even the same amongst women. And that also needs to be given attention. The gap isn't the same gap depending on who you are. Exactly, exactly. And, and and that's quite a big thing. I think there's an organization that I follow called Lean In, um, Cheryl Sandberg, um, that's very quite quite big, particularly in the US, but they also have organization hubs across across uh, the global level. And, um, and yeah, that's a big focus for them as well. It's not just, um, you know, the gender side of things, it's gender plus on top of that, you know, what are the other minorities that incorporate it? So yeah, re- really valid point. So and as when we're talking about finance inclusion, how can fintech specifically help foster financial inclusion? 
Yeah, that's a really, really good one. I asked a similar question when I did my fireside chat as well. And it was about, you know, should companies and fintechs really consider financial inclusion when they're building out their products and service solutions? And off the back of that, the feedback I got. So I had sort of people from, you know, CTOs on the call, uh, people from the financial technology space, from the sort of commercial side of the business. So it's interesting to get understanding that. And in the end of the day, you know, we understand that businesses are here to also generate revenue. But I think it is also very important to have this you know, consideration because it's an area where fintechs can make an impact and make a difference in the world, particularly some of the larger organizations, right? I think a good example is that, you know, the company that I work for, Pipro, we are an infrastructure provider um, in the world of online payments. So we support and enable cross-border payments, um, which plays a key role in boosting financial inclusion for many people, you know, as it provides them access to goods and services in, in other countries, for example, and, and providing digital payment methods across the globe. So, you know, that's kind of the core of what we do in terms of the solution that we provide. But, you know, the other thing is bank accounts, for example, right? This is a key one. Um, I was uh, just thinking about... Uh, when I first moved to the UK and trying to get a bank account in the UK was an absolute nightmare and a challenge because basically to get a bank account, you need a residential address, right? I just moved here. I happened to be living out of a hostel at the time, so couldn't really use that address. You needed an address, but then um, to have an address, I, I need a job to be able to prove can pay for my rent. And then uh, the other side of it is that to have that job, I need a bank account to get paid into. So it's this, you know, kind of vicious cycle and it's all very challenging. So I think, you know, fintech companies need to think about how they can make financial products and solutions easier for people to access. How can it be simpler? We understand that, you know, these organizations are often regulated, um, so they have to follow, you know, rules and, and, and legalities. But um, I, I think that how can they use and create low cost as well, you know, at the end of the day? I think that's a, another element that they really need to take into consideration. Um, there's plenty of financial service products out there that, that make it easier for consumers. But um, I think there's some other nuances that need to be taken in consideration these days. Definitely, because it's uh, it's funny because when we're talking about payments and creating inclusion in payments, there's this huge growth in like local payment methods, local digital payment methods across the world. It's it's staggering. That's why it's cool. An infrastructure provider like Pipro comes along and I'm like, okay, look, we're going to connect all of these things for emergency one to do business. Say, I don't know if you're in the UK and want to do business in Brazil, or if you're in the UK and want to do business in I don't know uh, Singapore or you know the Netherlands. You can provide the payment methods that work in all these different locations. Yeah, because we had a stat, 77% of e-commerce consumers abandon their shopping cart if they don't have their local payment method offering there at, at the end of the day. So, I mean, it, they call them local payment methods. They, a lot of people have also referred to them as alternative payment methods in the past, but we're starting to refer them as digital payment methods because they're, they're no longer alternative. Um, you know, they're really up there and competing with the likes of cards and credit cards and the like. So, so yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very important way to drive forward in financial inclusion. So then within the fintech industry, obviously, there's both social barriers and policies that need to be kind of put into action in order to pave way for the financial right. inclusivity. Definitely. So what are certain policies and social barriers that the industry still needs to overcome? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question. And I was actually talking about it quite recently because I think sometimes people look at policy versus social barriers, but I think that you know they very can be very connected and can be um, very beneficial for each other. So, you know, human beings, 
we're creatures of habit, right, at the end of the day. So trying to change social barriers can be very, very challenging in itself. It's about changing people's mindset, right, onto something that beliefs that may have been ingrained for years and years and years and what they've known their entire life. So um, that's where I think, you know, sometimes implementing policies can really help start or force people to take that action, right? If there's a policy or or, or a guide of sort. So for me, you know, mindset is a key example. Um, actually, sadly, an example around the social barrier side of things that I, that I read recently is that 53% of millennials felt that promoting women's rights is discriminating against men. I mean, let's let, let, let the thing sink in a little bit there, right? Promoting women's rights is discriminating against men. And I mean, that's Completely, when I, you know, look at advocating towards diversity, equality, inclusion, by no means do I ever think to exclude men from that picture because we need men to help support that cause and that initiative to make it a success at the end of the day. You know, this is absolutely sort of mindset culture. And I was really, really quite upset to it. I'm like, now we have another sort of challenge on our doorstep when it comes to gender inequality. So I think the World Economic Forum stated that, we won't reach gender parity for another 132 years. Like 132 years, that's not in our lifetime. And um, so I think a really important message to read here is that, you know, we need men to support gender equality. Um, We'll never get there. And at the end of the day, diversity, equity, inclusion really benefits everybody. So in terms of, you know, policies that I think need to be put in place, you know, I think these need to be looked at at different levels. So um, from, you know, if you're looking for in the, in the corporate world, governments can put policies in place to make sure that, you know, that's where regulation can come into play, right? Is the products and solutions that we're delivering from product from a fintech space, are they going to be available to all, you know, and, and can they be putting some sort of a policy process in place for that? And then I think it, you know, comes down to also corporates having their own responsibility as well within their organizations. And and that's where, you know, we talk about diversity and equity and and inclusion within organizations. One of the benefits of having diversity inclusion is really about if you've got a workplace that is really diverse, you're then looking at encompassing a workplace that essentially takes in and covers most of what the world is, right? In terms of sort of if you've got people from different race, different, different religions, and then those ideas are going into building your products and services, right? So if you've got a diverse workplace, you're looking at then having a more diverse product because people who are inputting into it are essentially from diverse backgrounds. So that's why I think diversity really, really is important. Put policies in place to to make sure that you have a diverse and innovative, inclusive workplace to help create a better product for, for everybody. Definitely. And so to begin to wrap this up a little bit, we wanted to talk more about some actions that people can implement in terms of financial inclusion. So not necessarily just organizations, but kind of ways that we can build together to get there. Yeah, I think for me, it's really also about education right? What we don't know, we can't change. So that's why podcasts like this are so important to help, you know, spread the word, help people understand. I know plenty of people who are like, 
no, I'm all for diversity and financial inclusion, but yeah, exactly. What can, what can I do about it? And I think it's about emphasizing the importance of financial inclusion as a whole, how, how it helps other people. For me, I am sure that people in my organization don't actually really fully know that, you know, you're working for an organization that is helping drive the financial inclusive agenda. So, you know, I presented internally at my organization, what is diversity, equity, inclusion? Did you know PPRO is part of this journey? Um, so it's all about spreading the word, sharing our knowledge um, and calling people out on it, right? I work in the sort of account management, the relationship side of the business. There's nothing stopping me going to speak to our CTO and say, what are we doing to be more financially inclusive? And asking those questions, what's the worst that could happen at the end of the day? They could be like, okay, yes, actually, Laura, that's a very good point. Um, let me look into that. And I know that I want to be part of an organization that is looking at these things. Um, this become more and more prevalent across the industry is something that's important to consumers, that's important to organizations and important to, to the world as a whole. So for me, it's, it's really about education and understanding what it is. And I mean, I'm not a tech person. Um, I don't necessarily know and have all of the experience around what we can do, but I can initiate things by asking the question and driving that agenda, right? So it's sometimes it's just those little things. People just think, you know, financial inclusion, oh, that sounds like a really big thing. I can't make a change here. Yes, you can. You can start by asking the questions, what are we doing? It seems like also from what you're saying, one of the biggest parts of the education piece not only the sort of one-way education, like I'm sharing my experience or explaining something to someone, but the other half is like you give people the opportunity to participate mm -hmm. in that thing that you're kind of talking to them about. Being engaged in the conversation. Right. So that makes them feel yeah. like empowered in whatever it is, in this case, financial inclusion. So that's also like... Yeah. So win, 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 right? We're all about <laughs> Absolutely. Laura, thanks for coming on the pod. This was a great conversation. I think we should invite you back on so we can dig more deeper yes, into definitely. all of these things. And uh, so, yeah, thanks for having it. Thanks for, sorry. <laughs> thanks, thanks for, for joining us. us. And, and thanks for having me. Um, it's been fantastic. And it's great to kind of get this message across and really helping to yeah, spread the word and uh, educate. And, and hopefully, you know, we're, we're stronger together at the end of the day, aren't we? Oh, that's it great note to end the podcast on. We are indeed stronger together. Thanks for Thank you. You've just been listening to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guest was Laura Rowe, Director of Partner Development at PPRO. Paytech Talk is brought to you by Cognito Amsterdam. Thanks for listening.